This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Everybody to the politics, politics, politics program for August 26th, 2022. Your old pal Justin Robert Young here. Got a great show for you today. The battle for the east and west side of Manhattan has concluded. And when the dust has settled, only one veteran New York City politician can stand. Carolyn Maloney vanquished at the hands of Gerald Nadler. We will talk all about how this came to be, why two brand name politicians on the Democratic side came to primarying against each other and exactly how it went down. And then I'm going to do a little pro bono work. One of the things that you guys have said is enjoyable to you is for me to try my hand at a little amateur campaign comms, helping to shape a message for a campaign that is in dire trouble. And by my view, there is no campaign in more dire trouble comically than that of Dr. Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. To me, it looks to be flailing. And yet, I can't help but shake the idea that it's not unsalvageable. So what would I do if I'm some big, strong expert? Well, I'll tell you. And we're going to be joined by Dave Leventhal, the money man from Insider. There's a very fascinating story about the National Republican Senatorial Committee. That is effectively the organization that from the Republican Party distributes money to elect people, elect Republicans throughout the country for the Senate. And yet, despite the fact that the NRSC has raised gobs of cash, it is currently canceling commitments to run commercials in battleground states. What's up with that? We'll find the answer to that question as well as an exploration into the career and career ambitions of Senator Rick Scott. All that. Bird This district does not belong to me or to my opponents, for that matter. It belongs only to the voters of this district, the New Yorkers who get up every day and busy themselves with building a better, fairer city. Those New Yorkers get to choose who best represents the people and values of this city. That is Jerry Nadler. He will be running back to Congress next year. And the reason why is because he beat Carolyn Maloney. Now, these are both fairly august names in the world of Democratic congressional politics. Indeed, Maloney is the chairwoman of the House Committee on Oversight and Reform. If you are somebody that listens to Jen Briney's amazing Congressional Dish podcast, Hers is a name that you have probably heard before. When I talked to Jen about this race, Nadler versus Maloney, and I asked her, as somebody who listens to a lot of congressional testimony, which do you side with? She said Maloney. And the reason why she said Maloney is because Maloney asks good questions, does good work. Nadler, however, as the head, uh, sorry, the chair of the Judiciary Committee, is somebody that is a little bit more famous. 
thanks in part to the fact that the Judiciary Committee was front and center during the impeachment processes for Donald Trump and everything that went on around it. Both were elected in 1992, meaning they have been around for a little bit. And by all accounts, considering their age, this felt like a loser leaves town match. The person that would not move on is probably done politically. That means we've kind of got to usher Maloney off the stage. There is very little ideological difference between the two. And the only reason why this came to be is because of New York State's disaster of a redistricting process, which was rejected and eventually came back with a combined district for Nadler and Maloney, effectively the east and west side of Manhattan. So, after a little coaxing and possible teasing to get one of them to move to another one of these districts, for which they almost certainly would have won, they decided they would go in on each other together. And so, here are the results. Maloney, 24.4%, Nadler, 55.4%. It is a straight beating for Nadler. And it's also something that got a little ugly. A reminder that Maloney was the person that uh, was was out here saying that Joe Biden isn't going to run. She made the physical effects of aging a major part of this campaign, suggesting that Nadler was not somebody who was physically fit enough to run. And yet, it was all for naught. Nadler will continue on as the head of the the Judiciary Committee as long as the Democrats are in control. And Maloney will, I don't know, get a pizza or something. R.I.P. to a real one. The political career of Carolyn Maloney. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to support this program... To my knowledge, the only independent, national, traveling reporter podcast. Well, the best place to go is patreon.com. And you can get there the easiest way possible by heading on over to takepoliticsseriously.com. It is there that you can support this program with a recurring payment. Three bucks. Simple, easy. Around the cost of two cups of coffee. I feel like if I got into your car and I was talking to you the entire way, twice a week, then for the promise of buying me a cup of coffee each time, you could have me in your car four times a week. Because that's what you get when you're on the $3 level. And this week, on the $3 level, we went all in to Joe Biden's debt forgiveness situation. What it is, what it isn't any kind of political ramifications we discuss on uh, yesterday's podcast. So go ahead and check that out. That is takepoliticsseriously.com. The uh, $3 level gets you two bonus episodes per week. Per week. Ooh-wee. I think that's up to six per month. Jiminy Christmas. Great googly moogly. Wait, up to six? No. Up to up to eight. Up to eight. Maybe even more. Up to ten. I don't know. I don't know how calendars work. Figure it out. Takepoliticsseriously.com. Thank you very much. My father taught me how to handle my first gun. I taught my son Oliver how to do the same. I've been shooting and hunting my whole life. So when people say I won't support guns, they're dead wrong. Boom! That is Dr. Mehmet Oz, Republican nominee for Senate. 
We are barreling toward election day. Our friend Evan Scrimshaw, who was on this show just a few days ago, tweeted just as I was recording this, that Oz is running the worst statewide campaign since blank, question mark. And indeed, Oz is, by all accounts, running behind John Fetterman, his Democratic counterpart. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that Oz is both a celebrity candidate acting in the way that celebrity candidates pre-Trump normally act. Kind of lazy, overconfident, trusting their gut on things that they probably shouldn't trust their gut on. Using the fact that they were successful in another field to imagine that they'd be successful in any other field, including politics, which is a very specialized area. This is something that you see a lot in sports when a, a, a captain of industry buys a team and then thinks that the experience they had, you know, running a, 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 a chicken processing syndicate is something that will help the special teams of the football team they just bought. It doesn't. There's usually a learning curve. And then sometimes, at least the humble ones, realize that there are lessons to be learned and apply them. Obviously, you don't get a lot of time to do that in politics. Campaigns are campaigns are campaigns. They are on a fixed cycle and you got to get your stuff together immediately. So why don't I think this is out of reach? Quite simply, for a few reasons. Number one, I don't think that the economic messaging that is out here now, which is the slowing of the acceleration, if not slowing period, of inflation and a lot of the cost of living issues, including food and gas. I don't know if that's going to be the exact message that we have in November. I think it is highly likely that we might have a recession. And that layoffs might be happening as people are going to the ballot box. In that case, I don't believe that Democratic candidates are going to have the same kind of advantage that they have right now. Two, I think that Fetterman is not the unbeatable candidate that people seem to think he is, even without the health issues. I do think that you can attack him for being too far left. I do think that there are character things that you can at least poke him on and see how he reacts. Now, there's no guarantee that he won't react well. That'd be the sign of a good campaign. But the Oz campaign isn't doing it, or at least not doing it effectively. And third, and this is a big thing, Fetterman's not healthy. But how you handle and highlight that is to me, the art of politics. So if we are going to devise a Fetterman takedown, then to me, you have to begin with the end in mind, specifically listing out Fetterman's weaknesses, things for which you can exploit. If we are talking about how rich Dr. Oz is, Fetterman is winning. If we are talking about how liberal or sick John Fetterman is, Oz is winning. As you can tell, right now, John's on top. But let's list out the weaknesses, or at least the, these are the weaknesses that I think are uh, uh, exploitable the way that I see it. Here's the first. John Fetterman is not the guy he pretends to be. Authenticity is a very, very, very interesting, if not sometimes fickle mistress. John Fetterman is a big, stocky dude. He's got tattoos. He wears hoodies all over the place. He absolutely looks like a union guy who just stepped off the line. I think I've said before that he looks like a menthol smells. And that is perfect for him because no matter what, he'll be able to eat into the core demographic of what a MAGA 
infused Republican needs to get to. And that is whites without a college degree. And there is no doubt that John Fetterman looks more like people that whites without a college degree hang out with than Dr. Oz does. Now, I'll circle back and and talk about how I would uh, uh, attack them. But I think that you can attack Fetterman by saying, and therefore tying into uh, some of his more liberal takes, that he's not actually like those whites without a college degree. He's much more like the college graduates for which fetishize collectivism. Here's the other thing. Weakness. When the chips are down, Fetterman will do the wrong thing. One of the most embarrassing moments in John Fetterman's life is when he pointed a gun at a black jogger while he was living in his hometown of Braddock outside of Pittsburgh. Now, just saying he's a racist is kind of empty. And I also don't think that it motivates the MAGA base. The MAGA base thinks that we should be thinking less about race. However, you can elevate it on a level of when he is under pressure, he does the wrong thing. How many times are we going to give John Fetterman the benefit of the doubt before we realize that he's fragile under pressure? Now, I like this line of thought specifically because it naturally highlights a strength of Oz. Who are you going to trust? The guy who, when he was startled, pointed a gun at a black guy? Or the heart surgeon? The man for which has held a steady scalpel hand for decades. Nothing startles Oz. And then we get to the health. So this is where I I think that the Oz campaign overplayed their hand this week. I'm going to read you a, a quote here, which is exclusive to Insider, by the way. The same outlet that uh, Dave Leventhal is hailing from, quote, in an exclusive statement as part of an insider's investigation into Oz, the uh, uh, Oz campaign jabbed back at an issue where (laughs) Oz went to a Wegmans. He called Wegmans the wrong name. He looked at a bunch of vegetables and called it crudite. Fetterman jabbed back and said, well, in PA, we actually call it a veggie tray. This highlights the fact that Fetterman has hammered Oz for being a carpetbagger who grew up across the river in New Jersey and not in Philadelphia. Well, this is what Oz's senior communications advisor, Rachel Tripp, had to say. Quote, if John Fetterman had ever eaten a vegetable in his life, then maybe he wouldn't have had a major stroke and wouldn't be in the position of having to lie about it constantly. So again, this is like the John Fetterman's a racist thing. If you just say he's not healthy, it doesn't really get you much. What you need to do is explain to the electorate why that matters. And that is determinate on who you are trying to convince. So you are trying, if you are Oz, right now you are underwater with. Again, the white working class, no college degree. Just saying he's not healthy isn't great because, spoiler alert, there's a lot of people around in that demo that aren't exactly Adonises. However, there is something exploitable here, and that is that Fetterman does not sound like Fetterman. I'm going to play you two clips here. This is Fetterman before his stroke, only a month before the primary wherein he beat Connor Lamb. Why 
Why are you a better choice for Pennsylvania voters for Senate than they are? Well, I, I, I'm not saying I am. My job, as I see it as a Senate candidate, is to talk about my record, the things that I care about, and the kind of campaign that we've built and are running across Pennsylvania. The way I see it, your job, the viewers and the voters, is that's your job to decide who the best one is. I'm proud of the record that we've accrued as, as a small town mayor, as lieutenant governor, and the race that we've run. We have the largest grassroots campaign of any challenger, Democratic or Republican, nationally. And I'm proud to say that we're in 90% of Pennsylvania zip codes. We have an unparalleled level of enthusiasm in grassroots uh, Pennsylvania. And then here is Fetterman speaking this week. I'm honored to be standing in the shadow of your, your amazing building. Do you think of the 10 homes Dr. Oz have has a union hall across their home? If you say you think the word of steel worker, what words come to your mind if you say steel workers? Of all the words that bring to your mind when you hear the word steel workers, does the word crudite come to your mind? As you can tell, this is not the same guy. And there's a reason why Oz wants them to debate each other on television as many times as possible. I think he's he's proposed eight debates, and so far Fetterman has dodged all of them. And I do understand the desire to say this is a pattern of behavior. Fetterman, and again, I mean, and, and maybe that's that, that I want to go back to what I said before with like when the chips are down, he makes the wrong decisions, that he cracks under pressure, that he is somebody for whom entered in to a democratic system for which is a corrupt party. And even then, even benefiting from his corrupt party, he still was eroded by the pressure. Look, some people got it, some people don't. Doesn't make him a bad guy, it makes him somebody who can't handle it. And he can't handle it physically. What was John Fetterman doing while Dr. Oz was becoming a national celebrity? While he was becoming a pillar of the medical profession? Well, Certainly wasn't taking care of himself, and he certainly wasn't taking care of you, the citizens of Pennsylvania, as he has led this state to a dangerous gateway. Which brings me to my largest idea of where I would suggest that Oz take this campaign. The reason why people vote is because they believe this is an all or nothing proposition. And right now, I believe that aside from abortion, which is huge, aside from abortion, a lot of the things that John Fetterman supports in the Senate is further to the left than the average Pennsylvania voter. So, for example, again, we are, we are looking at white working class without a college degree voters here. And let's take one of the issues of the day. And that is uh, student loan forgiveness. This is John Fetterman's tweet on April 3rd. Pennsylvania has the third highest rate of student loan debt in America. If we can spend hundreds of billions to bail out Wall Street, we can take action to cancel student loan debt. Now, this is something that I would seize on if I were Dr. Oz. I would say this is exactly, exactly who John Fetterman is. Because John Fetterman, who's going to walk around and get all these union endorsements, he's going to walk around and pretend he's going to cosplay as one of you. But when the chips are down, what's the decision that he makes? It's the lawyers that need their student loans paid. It's not you, because you guys didn't go to college. You guys came out and made a living for yourselves. You fed your families. You created strong Pennsylvania values. No, he wants to give your money to the rich, and he wants to stand among you and act like it was your idea. How am 
many people on the line in the steel mill are concerned about some lawyer student debt? I don't think a lot. Which gets to defending the attack that has been lobbied against Dr. Oz. The fact that he is both rich and not from Pennsylvania. I don't think that this one is hard. And I think this is one of the biggest indictments as to how Dr. Oz has run his campaign. I would have thought that somebody who has as much media savvy as Dr. Oz would know that he has to tell a story. So, since Fetterman has given him the first pathway into it, I think that there is no reason why he cannot make this narrative the centerpiece of any kind of question. And it would go a little something like this. You know, my opponent likes to say that I'm rich. And he likes to point out all of the issues that swirl around being on television for over 10 years. And he likes to talk about my houses. Well, I'm here to tell you, yeah, I am rich. I do have a lot of houses. And I had a career, two careers, two careers that many people would greatly, greatly desire. They would love to have the impact that I had on television. They would love to have the impact that I had on the medical community. And I gave it all up. I gave it all up because even if I lived outside of New York City, even if I grew up across the river in New Jersey, I looked at Pennsylvania where so many of my friends and family lives, including my family right now. And I said that this cannot continue to happen. John Fetterman doesn't want me involved in this race because he would like things to continue going the way that they are. He would like to make Pittsburgh into LA. He would like to make Philadelphia into San Francisco. He would like to be a deciding vote on the Bernie Sanders side of the Senate. Now, I think that there's a bunch of people that might like to vote for Bernie Sanders. And I'm sure they did in the previous primaries. But I don't think that's the majority of you. Nor do I think it's the majority of people who just want to be able to keep some of their money and raise a good family. Not be afraid of crime on their streets. Be able to look their kids in the eye and know that they're going to live a better life than you live. Fetterman likes to attack where I used to grow up because he wants to obscure the fact that you don't know who he really is. Well, guess what? Warts and all, you know exactly who I really am. You watched me on television for 10 years. And let me tell you this. You can't hide a lot when you're in front of the camera for that long. Friends, I'm Dr. Oz. And I've got one weird trick to rid yourself of any kind of socialist burden. And that's to head to the polls this November and vote Republican, turn Pennsylvania, wait, no, not turn Pennsylvania red. Maybe, <laughs> maybe keep Pennsylvania red. Yeah. Go to the polls in November and make sure that you send me Mehmet Oz to the Senate. So that's what I do. And, and what I would what I would try to get out there is, uh, uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh, I remember listening one day after Mitt Romney lost. And one of the things that he said is kind of always stuck with me, largely because Trump executed the playbook to perfection. And that was when Obama was hitting him on the the garage with the elevator on it and stuff. Don't run away from it. Make sure that you own your wealth, you own your success to the Republicans you need to turn out, including the, the, the ones without a college degree that don't make a lot of money. They don't want to malign you for having it as long as you are fighting for them. I think Oz is losing that battle. He's running away from the fact that he's rich and you can't do that. 
Because that dude is rich. He owns like 10 houses. So either you got to make it part of your story or you got to totally bail on it. Anyway, that's what I'd do if I were running Dr. Oz's comms. Our guest today is no stranger. He is the man behind Insider's DC Bureau. He is a longtime reporter, man about town in DC, specifically in the world of the financial underpinnings of that venerable town. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please put your hands together, unless you're driving, for Dave Leventhal, the money man. Welcome back to the show, Dave. Thank you, Justin. It is wonderful to be back. So we got a couple money stories floating around, and this time it is not about, well, the fundraising that we normally talk about, which is direct to campaigns or to uh, small dollar donations and the kind of FEC filings that we normally uh, obsess over. This was a story that I believe first broke in the New York Times about some possible financial insolvency within the National Republican uh, Republican Senatorial Committee, uh, tracing back the cancellation of some ad buys that had been uh, uh, earmarked. Can you run down a for for people who are not aware what is the NRSC? And whether or not there is any smoke or sorry, fire to this smoke. <laughs> well, the NRSC stands for National Republican Senatorial Committee. And this is the committee. And, and there are Democratic analogs. Uh, they, mm-hmm. The Democrats have their own committee of this sort that uh, are basically set up to do one thing and one thing only, which is to elect members of their respective parties to the U.S. Senate. So the NRSC finds itself in a very precarious position, but also a position of great opportunity here in 2022 in the sense that we have a Senate that is 50-50. It is as divided as it possibly could be. And if they can just win one seat more and can get that 51st senator in the U.S. Senate going into 2023, guess what? The Republicans own the Senate for two years and all the things that the Democrats have been able to do with a Senate majority here in 2021 and 2022 will suddenly go to the Republicans. And also it has the added benefit for them of being able to effectively block Joe Biden's agenda without even the help of Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema or other people like that. Uh, so, you know, huge, massive opportunity. But yeah. to your other question, what, what's been going on here? Well, it's notable that the NRSC has actually had a really, really good fundraising cycle. At the end of last month, they had banked about $180 million over the course of 2021 and 2022 up until that time. That's more money than they've ever raised in a cycle up until that that point. But the rub here is that they've been spending it like crazy and burning through that cash stash and doing so not at the kind of the end game of the 2022 midterm election cycle, but all kind of during the course of that. Now, you know, one could argue that that may be a good thing that's going to seed some of the candidates in, in the various races that are hyper competitive, you know, Pennsylvania, Arizona, mm-hmm. Ohio, Georgia, Nevada. But at the same time, too, they've been spending it in, in some very curious ways. They've been investing in like Colorado and Washington state, not exactly states that they have a good chance of winning necessarily. Yeah. And and otherwise, just kind of, you know, burning through this money at a very, very uh, concerning clip in the estimation of members of the Republican Party. So it's uh, not a great situation for them now. They are indeed pulling back on ads that they've had in key states like Pennsylvania, where Dr. Mehmet Oz is is trailing in the polls to John Fetterman, the Democrat running in that race. And that's just one example of several that we could give of of things that are not going quite right for the Republicans in their Senate efforts right now. So the part of the malfeasance here then is, and this is a constant complaint amongst candidates and campaigns, is, is that the the party is targeting the wrong races. And and so every campaign would love the entire uh, uh, 
fleet of cash to be dropped upon their race specifically. But there, but what you're saying is that one of the biggest chief issues is that this is going to races that that don't matter. And I would assume the subtext below that is, and it's so people who are hired to run those races can get a little taste of the party's money. Yeah, and that's a huge part of it. Um, kind of the kissing cousin to that is that in races that do matter, there's not enough money going to those races. Mm-hmm. Again, in the estimation of many Republicans, especially those who are running in those really key hot races in some of the states that we just mentioned, like Pennsylvania, yeah. and Ohio, et cetera. I mean, the Democrats, uh, when it comes to, again, the analog of the NRSC, the, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the DSCC, they're eating the Republicans' lunch. They're they're outspending them by a factor of two to one, or even in a few cases more, in those particular states up up to this point. So that's so highly on ads, on, on ads and and funding into the campaigns. The Democrats are just putting from their national committee. They are putting way more money into these races than the Republicans are right now. Right. At this juncture. And and that's putting a heck of a lot of pressure on the overall Republican structure to somehow respond to that and keep competitive as we enter the teeth of the general election with less than 100 days to go before the midterm elections actually take place. And and I think it's important to just back up and, and kind of broaden out for just a moment here to kind of discuss the three pots of money or the main three pots of money that factor in to any of these Senate races. The first pot of money is the one that we're talking about, which are the national political campaign committees. So for the House races, it's the national congressional campaign committees. For the Senate races, it's the senatorial campaign committees. And then you have the the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee, which are sort of the overall committees for for, uh, the two parties. That is one pot of money, and and that's where Democrats are definitely beating Republicans up in a major way. Then you have the candidates' own committees, so the the running of a campaign on the most grassroots, ground floor level, lots of money coming into those campaigns, uh, and the candidates have the most control over that money and can deploy the resources, deploy the funds that they have, really as they see fit, week to week, day to day, hour to hour. And then there are the X Factor committees, and these are led by super PACs, super super PACs being committees that can raise and they can spend unlimited amounts of money. And that differentiates them from the national campaign committees. It differentiates them from the candidate committees by virtue, or some might say by by the, the horrible nature of the fact that they can take in a million dollar donation tomorrow if they want to. It could be $10 million. It could be any amount. And they can turn around and then just spend that money on advertisements, on TV, digital ads. They can even do it to kind of run like a a parallel campaign operation if they wanted to. And we're seeing this with a super PAC, for example, in Arizona that is funded by by Republican billionaire Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel. And supporting... The candidate down there, Blake Masters, who is running against Democrat Mark Kelly, the incumbent. And, it, you know, that's a $15 million plus operation right now, totally separate and apart from any national political committee or uh, master's committee, for, for that matter. So, you know, what happens there? Well, you know, that is something that by law, the super PAC cannot directly coordinate with the candidate committee, even though there's a ton of like, wink, wink, nod, nod stuff going on constantly that that really just kind of skirts the, the spirit of the law. And it, but there's also a limitation to in the sense that super PACs, they, they don't get like the same as a very pragmatic uh, thing. They don't get the same ad rates on, on TV as a, a candidate committee would. So a dollar that is spent by a super PAC oftentimes is actually getting you less or, or getting a candidate less in, in terms of advertising and, and just the power of that dollar than if it was a dollar that was being spent by one of the, the national campaign committees or the candidate committees. So there are pros and cons to all of this. All of it plays a factor and a role in the ultimate success of a candidate or lack thereof. Uh, but the national campaign committees like the NRS, uh, 
National Republican Senatorial Committee, they're absolutely key. And if they're not doing their job, then there's kind of like a big donut hole in the middle that has to be filled in a major way by a super PAC or a candidate committee. And there are limitations to both. Before before we get back into the uh, uh, senatorial committee, let's let's stay on super PACs uh, real quick and specifically Peter Thiel. It, it, it he is, but would it be safe to say that this is his first big cycle playing in these senatorial waters? Obviously, he's always he's donated a lot to various political causes, and he was a big donor for Donald Trump in 2020. But is is this the first this is the first time I can remember him playing at this level for the Senate? Would that be correct? That that would be correct. And he, he has been a player, as you said, in in all levels of politics before, but mainly at the most national of levels. And and, and this is a race that he has a personal interest in. Uh, Blake Masters is somebody who has been for many years on his payroll. They, they've done like book projects together. I mean, they are, they are friends, they are yeah. colleagues, they are compatriots. Uh, this is not just some, you know, fly by night thing where Peter Thiel's like, oh, this is a cool Senate candidate. I like this guy. Philosophically, yeah. we're aligned. I'm going to support him. No, it, it goes way deeper than that and, and much deeper than really almost any super PAC funder candidate fundee level that, uh, that we've really ever seen in, in almost modern politics. So, you yeah, know, he he, he, he seems like a, a farm to table donor for <laughs> both both the Blake Masters campaign and the J.D. Vance campaign in Ohio. Without question. And uh, and as a result of that, you mentioned J.D. Vance, uh, you know, another person he has been supportive of. Uh, this is very personal to him. And uh, he he has an investment not only in the campaigns and and the policy positions that the candidates espouse, but in the candidates themselves, particularly Blake Masters. So as a result, you know, that really does kind of highlight and underscore the the way that a super PAC can work. If you have that kind of relationship with somebody, well, yeah, of course, you're going to donate the $2,900 per election that you can to their campaign committee. Yeah. But you also can go ahead and form a super PAC today if you want to, and then pour in any of the millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars that you're willing to part with to go fund that kind of parallel campaign operation vis-a-vis a super PAC and, and effectively you know, give them a, a turbo boost financially and otherwise that they never could get if super PACs were not a thing. And let's remember that a dozen years ago, super PACs became a thing because in part of the Supreme Court's Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission decision, and it was actually another federal court decision called Speech Now versus the Federal Election Commission that ultimately uh, allowed for the creation of these kinds of groups that have loomed large over politics really ever since and are as big a factor today as they've ever been. Yeah, and we saw what was what were they called before Citizens United? Or uh, there was a, a specific designation for them after McCain Feingold that is escaping yeah. me right now. Oh, they're, well, they they were known as five twenty seven committees. That's and, it. Uh, yeah, just this weird arcane, and they're still actually around. They they still exist, but uh, they have been superseded by super PACs uh, in a very major way. And um, yeah, you know, they could do, they, they were less powerful than super PACs. They couldn't quite do the things that super PACs can do, which is what makes super PACs super and that they can directly spend on politics and they can spend that money kind of in almost any way they want to. They are political committees and uh, they're, they're not, you know, nonprofit organizations or something that, that has to be a step or two or three uh, removed away from the actual yeah. electoral campaign season process. Where they can only talk to each other on wink, wink, nudge, nudge, publicly available internet forums that just happen to be hidden from all Google indexing. Okay. okay. Moving on from there, if we know that there is an inefficient yet inexhaustible pile of money with super PACs, and we know that the regulations on donating directly to a campaign are fairly stringent, what are the rules for? the national party committees, let's say for the Senate, uh, for example, 
on donating money there? Like, uh, can, is there a limit to if I'm a gigantic billionaire and I want to put a bunch of money in, is there a limit to how much I can give these parties? There is. And uh, right now, so the, the party committees are kind of right in the middle. So the super PACs are the one bookend. Uh, there, there is no limit. You can give whatever you want. And then the candidate committees, as we mentioned, it, it's $2,900 per uh, election, which means that you can give $2,900 in a primary, you can give $2,900 in a general. And for party committees, it uh, it is right uh, effectively in the middle. It's uh, just right around $40,000 where you can give um, for an election. So that gives you an added boost. It definitely allows the party committees to raise more money and raise a, uh, it, it with a greater efficiency. Somebody who otherwise could you know, only give you just a little less than $3,000 can give you more than 10 times that under current federal rules. But, uh, and, and also too, they can give party committees money in like these other funny ways that couldn't necessarily be directly used in an election, but you can donate, you know, five figures to like the party committee's building fund. Okay. Mm. Weird. You can donate kind of the same amount of money to their legal recount fund. So there's also in addition to the main avenue of how to donate money to an election uh, for these committees so that they can use it in an election, there are other sort of these side ancillary ways that you can also help fund their operations, which can be helpful to them and help them run their operations. At the heart of the current controversy with the Republican Senatorial Committee is a man by the name of Rick Scott. And any of my fellow Floridians will know him as a very known quantity. Not only is he the current one of the two senators from the Sunshine State, he's also a former governor. And I think that there's an interesting backstory in terms of uh, uh, whether or not Rick Scott has higher aspirations in terms of senatorial leadership. We'll get to that in a second. For now, who is Rick Scott in terms of this committee and what are people who do not like Rick Scott accusing Rick Scott of doing? Well, Rick Scott, senator from Florida, and he's also the chairman of the NRSC, which, as we have stated, is the National Republican Senatorial Committee. But some of his detractors, including those in the Republican Party, are, are kind of renaming the NRSC uh, to the National Rick Scott Committee in the sense that they feel like it, he's kind of making it a lot about Rick Scott and not so much or at least as much as he needs to or they would like him to about the other candidates. For example, there have been lots of ads that the NRSC has put out where Rick Scott is feature. It, it's sort of served as a promotional PR vehicle for him in a way that other chair people who have run the NRSC in the past have not used it for. And, uh, and oftentimes will take backseat to the promotional aspects of all the other people that they're trying to get elected. Uh, Rick Scott is in, on vacation right now. He is in Italy. This is something that a lot of people are tarring and feathering him over to <laughs> because it's like, hey, look, we know you're rich. We know yeah. everyone needs a vacation, but the balance of the U.S. Senate here is at stake. And we kind of need you you're focusing on this so that the Republicans can win the Senate and not lose it. So that is one of the criticisms going on now. And of course, the money issue looms large as well in the sense that if Rick Scott was perhaps doing five or 10 percent more work or leading it in a better way, again, in the estimation of some Republicans, then the NRSC might not necessarily be in the financial predicament and the situation that it is right now that they would have a better lot. So th that's kind of the state of play right now. And, and <laughs> more than a few Republicans are not not happy with the trajectory of this and feel like, hey, if this was some sort of corporation, the NRSC was a business, yeah. then uh, they might be looking for a new CEO. Which also brings up the fact that when Rick Scott was the CEO of a hospital network, uh, I, I believe they had to pay a record Medicare fraud settlement, uh, which uh, just is chef's kiss to the state of Florida. Anyway, um, and not to pile on, but uh, Insider just reported a few days ago that Rick Scott uh, he had uh, become one of the 71 people that we have identified in the past year and a half as violating the Stock Act for his own personal financial trades and not disclosing them properly. Uh, not exactly central to what we're talking about, but yeah. figured since we're on the topic of Rick yeah. Scott, that uh, fair, fair to bring up. 
you guys are like uh, 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 Pokemon coaches. You know, you got to catch them all when it comes to the uh, <laughs> to everybody in Congress that's not complying with that act, because it, it's definitely a new one every day. All right. Uh, uh, from your perspective, as somebody who has watched this scene play out for many years, where does this rank in terms of the normal level of people and campaigns complaining about where the the national party is spending their money versus some real alarm bells and 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 griping and screaming about this there well look justin there's always going to be complaining there is always complaining there's always griping there's always somebody whether it it is the proverbial nattering nabob of negativity just saying oh we got to do more to People who may have very legit concerns about the money not being spent in a smart way, or you, you could be spending it over here when instead you're spending it over there. So, you know, all these questions do come up. But what's different this time are two things. Number one, the financial troubles relative to the success that the Democrats are having at this point and the efficiency that the Democrats are employing to run their Senate operations. That is very concerning for a lot of Republicans, and and the Republicans don't want the Democrats to have the kind of head start and now lead that they have right now because it can only portend bad things. But the other aspect of this is that divide, that 50-50 divide, which is is not going to happen every two-year cycle, which oftentimes you're going to have one party that has an inherent advantage over another going in to an election cycle to either retain or recapture the Senate. This truly is a 50-50 kind of situation. Mitch McConnell himself said as much that it could go either way. And and if the Republicans end up in the same situation that they were in, where it literally is 50-50 with Vice President Kamala Harris being that deciding vote that gives the Democrats a majority, or they lose a seat or two, then there, there's going to be two years worth of hand wringing and memo writing and and banging of heads against walls over a, an opportunity that had been lost. Uh, and so many people questioning, like, well, wait, if we would have gotten our act together back in May or June or July or August of 2022 and had been more smart about our resources, had, had, had more intelligently used the funding that we had, had more aggressively fundraised. And and also, too, and, and this is kind of an interesting wrinkle, somehow tried to control or corral Donald Trump, as bizarre as that might seem. I mean, Donald Trump is out there raising crazy amounts of money yeah. for his own political committees which are donating very, very small amounts to the NRSC or otherwise pouring money into Senate races during the midterms, Donald Trump is definitely cannibalizing, at least to some degree, the the pool of money that exists out there for Republicans to get to put into House races and Senate races that are going to be crucial to whether Republicans win the House or the Senate ultimately. And, and that's something that, you know, is kind of a, you know, it, it not so much talked about element of all of this, but is also a very real element about all of this, that Donald Trump isn't exactly doing his own party all the favors that he could be doing. And, and it'll be most curious to see how, how that plays out in and of yeah. itself. At the very least, has not. Right. I, mean, I don't know why Donald Trump would decide to start pouring gigantic amounts of money, but he has yet to do it. You mentioned yeah. Mitch McConnell. And yep. and I, I want to get into this, and this is certainly more on the, you know, a, a personal squabble side and less on the dollars and cents side. But a few months ago, Rick Scott put out his own agenda of what the new Republican majority would do when they took control. This was outside of Mitch McConnell who is the guy who actually decides what the Republicans are going to do should they get control and he become majority leader again. This led to a a rebuke from Mitch McConnell and also dovetails into other reports that put Rick Scott, and I would say, you know, even conservatively, Rick Scott is now the fifth 
highest profile Floridian politician if we're going to go Trump, DeSantis, Marco Rubio, Matt Gates, and then maybe uh, uh, Rick Scott. Uh, he, it's a place that he, by all reports, does not want to be. How much in in your sense in watching these situations play out in the past is this Rick Scott wanting to make his mark and be the architect of a Republican majority so he can gain more influence? I mean, there definitely is a 2022 uh, analog to uh, Senate side to like 1994 Newt Gingrich contract mm. with America thing going on here. Yeah, I mean, Rick Scott released this agenda called uh, Rescue America. So there, it even kind of sounds similar. Uh, it's a little bit of a play on Save America, which is Donald Trump's calling card that he calls it, his flagship post-White House political committee. But this kind of out of the gate has been, you know, derided by Republicans. I, there, I, I'm having to dig in my memory a little bit here, but but there was literally on April Fool's Day a headline in the Hill, the the newspaper, the Hill, uh, that said something to the effect of, you know, Rick Scott's agenda baffles the GOP, and yes. and and the only thing that that really was funny about that was that it wasn't funny. It was actually real. It wasn't an April fool's joke. And, and Rick Scott, nevertheless, has been pushing forward with sort of his own vision and an own version of what the Republican agenda is separate and apart from what Mitch McConnell's vision is as the leader of the Republicans in the Senate, or, or even what Donald Trump says as the de facto leader of the Republican Party. So, you know, materially, was it something that was just in a whole different universe than what either Mitch McConnell or Donald Trump would want? No, not really. I mean, there were some material differences here and there for sure, but but it was generally the same thing. What it was was an opportunity, as you suggested, for Rick Scott to kind of plant his flag, put his marker down, use whatever metaphor cliche you want. And it kind of fell to mixed metaphors like a lead balloon. And yep. and has really kind of gone nowhere since. So Rick Scott's effort to promote himself and elevate himself has not exactly been well received uh, by the Republican Party, either universally or even with the key figures in it who might uh, support him, even if the rank and file uh, were not. Neither have really happened, Justin, and that's a problem for Rick Scott. Not to mention, it it does not seem to be a career lengthener to get on the wrong side of Mitch McConnell. <laughs> Uh, uh, he he seems to be somebody that that understands how to count votes about as good as anybody in Washington has. Although you can't discount the rivalry or blood feud, depending on on what you read between Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. Although I'm guessing that's probably a little bit more one sided, and Mitch McConnell will work with anybody. But <laughs> that being said. Uh, but hey, Mitch McConnell, I mean, talk about us, say what you want about Mitch McConnell uh, and his politics and who he is, but the dude is a survivor. Okay. Yes. You know, he's, he's an octogenarian now. He's still the leader of the Senate. He's, he's a leader of the Senate on the Republican side. And well, Donald Trump is not the president anymore. So he's been able to survive despite the barbs, despite Donald Trump's flaming of him constantly that, uh, you know, he, he's been able to persist. And there is something to be said for that just from a pure politics standpoint, if nothing else. You mentioned before we came on, you sent this to me that uh, a, a donation to the Smithsonian by the Trumps might also factor into the senatorial committee. Uh, well, yeah, uh, in, in a in a very strange and odd roundabout way, but but uh, indulge me here for a second, please. We, we reported a couple of days ago that um, that Donald Trump's Save America Political Action Committee, which again had, had uh, mentioned earlier, is uh, the flagship political action committee that Donald Trump has been using his fundraising vehicle. All those text messages, all those emails that he sends out, saying that he's going to, you know quintuple your donation and he's going to sell you a $45 let's go Brandon trucker cap. Well, all that money is going to Donald Trump's political committee. And what is Donald Trump using that money for? Well, he's using it for just about everything except 
really giving lots of it to Republicans who are running in races that are happening in the here and now in 2022. Even the ones that he muscled through the primary, which include Vance, include Oz, uh, uh, include Masters. Correct. And and he's been relying so much more on his endorsement of these candidates who serve as his contribution to them than actual monetary contributions. It's not to say he's not, not doing anything because Save America is doing some things, but Trump is using his cult of personality and his rallies and whatnot as as really his kind of uh, informal, in-kind contribution to these various campaigns and not opening up his big coffer, which is now sitting at $99 million plus, and just giving that money away anywhere that he can, including to like the NRSC in a way that he could be. So anyway, what does this have to do with a donation to the Smithsonian? Well, we reported uh, on Saturday that the Save America Political Action Committee had, in fact, made a $650,000, quote unquote, charitable contribution to the Smithsonian. Now, that's weird for a couple of reasons. Number one, the only time you really see political committees making big contributions of a charitable sort is when they're winding down, when when a candidate is no longer running and has money left over, or when a political committee is going to effectively go out of business. That's not the case with Donald Trump's committee. So that was weird. And and then also to, to, to the Smithsonian, I mean, isn't that part of the deep state? Isn't that part of everything that Donald the Trump swamp. is railing against? I mean, talk, talk. Yeah, I mean, talk about being literally in the in the heart of the heart of the swamp, right? Well, okay, that's weird too. So we talked to the Smithsonian, uh, and on Monday morning, got an answer from them as to what the heck was up with this contribution and 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 what it meant. And they confirmed to us that the six hundred and fifty thousand dollars was a contribution to Donald Trump and Melania Trump's official presidential portraits that would go into the National Portrait Gallery here in Washington, D.C. You may remember the big to-do about the Obama's portraits being unveiled. In fact, they're traveling the country, the portraits, to different art museums. Yeah. Incredibly popular. The one one, one where Obama's disappearing into the hedge like the Homer meme. Into the hedge, exactly. And uh, so we don't know what Donald Trump's portrait is going to be. It hasn't been created yet. We don't know when it's going to be unveiled. But this, of course, I mean, just from a financial standpoint, it's like $650,000 that has been raised by a committee that, mind you, uses incredibly deceptive and aggressive fundraising tactics it had sent out Save America just a couple of days ago, Justin, this text message, which a plain reading of it uh, with, with you know, somebody who, and I'm thinking of like grandpa here, okay, yeah. just reads a text message. And, and it basically said, your, your voter file is out of date. You have to update it, suggesting like, you can't vote anymore, dude. Sure. And, and you have to click this link in order to make the situation better, fix it. Uh, well, you know, I mean, come on, like. Talk about we, we talk about voter fraud and election integrity all the time. Well, that's something that I, I think a fair reading of it, it could uh, one could say that this was not exactly on the up and up. Well, that's how Donald Trump's Save America committee is fundraising. Uh, you know, we mentioned the Let's Go Brandon Trucker ads. <laughs> I, I, that that's something that just happened too, and it's literally you know f you Joe Biden uh, and and yet the money that has been raised for that committee is now being spent on portraits of Donald Trump that are going to hang in in one of the most august institutions in Washington, D.C. Now, the second part of this is, well, all right, you know, what could $650,000 do? And I bet that the NRSC and I bet that a lot of Republican candidates could think of lots of things that $650,000 could do for them that would not be a portrait of Donald and Melania Trump. And mind you, Donald Trump could have found another way to fund these portraits, including paying for it himself or getting other people to fund it, uh, because these portraits do actually have to be privately funded as opposed to taxpayer funded, but don't have to be funded by a political committee. That's for sure. It's also a lot of money to pay for a Ben Garrison cartoon, which is, I assume, what the portraits are going to be. Uh, all right. Well, that'll wrap it up uh, for 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 this educational trip down campaign finance lane with our 
our favorite, our favorite companion for all this, Dave Leventhal of Insider. Thank you so much, man. Always, always uh, illuminating to have you on. I, I, I appreciate uh, walking, walking the journey with you. <laughs> Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. This program was edited by Brett Stewart. If you would like to thank our guest today, you can head on over to px3guest.com. If you would like to email the program, you can do so, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Our Twitter is px3tweets. Our Twitch is px 3 Live, you can get my newsletter, which I'm writing again. These fingers, these fingers of mine, they work now at px3newsletter.com. Share the podcast with your friends, family, clergy, px3podcast.com. And you can hit us up with a one-time donation, paypal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is justin-young-20. Our cash app is px3cash. And our checks or anything else that you would like to send me in the mail, P.O. Box. 153184 Austin, Texas 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at takepoliticsseriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. The $10 tier gets you that. And also, your name, Red, at the end of the program. Like MC Dradio, Unsafe DB Level, Katie, Amanda, Yield, Pinball Shop, DP4, Bongo, Kneemeister, Catherine, Todd. Persons familiar with the matter and vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris Arslandy in Blue Front, and the Lenina DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic Terran, Tur- oh, Diana, turn two, Miranda Janelle, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank Got Abducted. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, The Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D. Really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, you want to be like them? Oh, so simple. Head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com and uh, sign up. All help is greatly appreciated. Okay. That's about it for us Today, uh, thank you. Thank you to everybody for listening. We got some fun stuff coming up next week. We continue on the march to the midterms, our wave watch. Till then, have a good weekend. The weather broke here in Austin, so it it, it might be a little rainy, but it's going to be pretty fun. I'm excited. Till next time, a reminder that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.